Chapter Eight, Part Two of the Coming of the Fairies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amy Graymore, Amy's Mind to Your Mind.com. The Coming of the Fairies by Arthur Conan Doyle. Chapter Eight, Part Two. In the literature of Theosophy, I know no one who treats the elemental forces of nature more fully than Bishop Ledbetter whom I met in my Australian travels, and who impressed me by his venerable appearance, his ascetic habits, and his claims to a remarkable clairvoyancy, which has, as he alleges, opened up many of the arcana. In his book The Hidden Side of Things, he talks very fully of the fairies of many lands. Dealing with the little creatures, whom so many of my informants have seen tending flowers, the seer says, the little creatures that look after flowers may be divided into two great classes, though of course there are many varieties of each kind. The first class may properly be called elementals, for, beautiful though they are, they are in reality only thought-forms, and therefore they are not really living creatures at all. Perhaps I should say that they are only temporary living creatures, for though they are very active and busy during their little lives, they have no real evolving, reincarnating life in them, and when they have done their work they just go to pieces and dissolve into the surrounding atmosphere precisely as our own thought forms do they are the thought forms of the great beings or angels who are in charge of the evolution of the vegetable kingdom when one of these great ones has a new idea connected with one of the kinds of plants or flowers which are under his charge he often creates a thought form for the special purpose of carrying out that idea it usually takes the form either of an etheric model of the flower itself or of a little creature which hangs round the plant or the flower all through the time that the buds are forming and gradually builds them into the shape and color of which the angel has thought but as soon as the plant has fully grown or the flower has opened its work is over and its power is exhausted and as i have said it just simply dissolves because the will to do that piece of work was the only soul that it had but there is quite another kind of little creature which is very frequently seen playing with the flowers and this time it is a real nature spirit there are many varieties of these also one of the commonest forms is as i have said something very much like a hummingbird and it may often be seen buzzing round the flowers much in the same way as a hummingbird or a bee does these beautiful little creatures will never become human because they are not in the same line of evolution as we are the life which is now animating them has come up through the grasses and cereals such as we denotes when it was in the vegetable kingdom afterwards through ants and bees when it was in the animal kingdom now it has reached the level of these tiny nature spirits and its next stage will be to ensoul some of the beautiful fairies with etheric bodies who live upon the surface of the earth later on they will become salamanders or fire spirits and later still they will become sylphs or air spirits having only astral bodies instead of etheric later still they will pass through the different stages of the great kingdom of the angels speaking of the national characteristics of fairies he says with all the assurance of an actual observer page ninety seven no contrast could well be more marked than that between the vivacious frolicking orange and purple or scarlet and gold mannequins who dance among the vineyards of sicily and the almost wistful grey and green creatures who move so much more sedately amidst the oak and firs covered heaths in brittany or the golden-brown good people who haunt the hillsides of scotland 
in england the emerald green kind is probably the commonest and i have seen it also in the woods in france and belgium in faraway massachusetts and on the banks of the niagara river the vast plains of the dakotas are inhabited by a black and white kind which i have not seen elsewhere and california rejoices in a lovely white and gold species which also appears to be unique in australia the most frequent type is a very distinctive creature of a wonderful luminous sky-blue color but there is a wide diversity between the etheric inhabitants of new south wales or victoria and those of tropical northern queensland these latter approximate closely to those of the dutch indies java seems specially prolific in these graceful creatures and the kinds most common there are two distinct types both monochromatic one indigo blue with faint metallic gleamings and the other a study in all known shades of yellow quaint but wonderfully effective and attractive a striking local variety is gaudily ringed with alternate bars of green and yellow like a football jersey this ringed type is possibly a race peculiar to that part of the world for i saw red and yellow similarly arranged in the malay peninsula and green and white on the other side of the straits in sumatra that huge island also rejoices in the possession of a lovely pale heliotrope tribe which i have seen before only in the hills of ceylon down in new zealand their specialty is a deep blue shot with silver while in the south sea islands one meets with a silvery white variety which coruscates with all the colors of the rainbow like a figure of mother-of-pearl in india we find all sorts from the delicate rose and pale green or pale blue and primrose of the hill country to the rich medley of gorgeously gleaming colors almost barbaric in their intensity and profusion which is characteristic of the plains in some parts of that marvelous country i have seen the black and gold type which is more usually associated with the african desert and also a species which resembles a statuette made out of a gleaming crimson metal such as was the oracalcum of the atlanteans somewhat akin to this last is a curious variety which looks as though cast out of a bronze and burnished it appears to make its home in the immediate neighborhood of volcanic disturbances since the only places in which it has been seen so far are the slopes of vesuvius and etna the interior of java the sandwich islands the yellowstone park in north america and a certain part of the north island of new zealand several indications seem to point to the conclusion that this is a survival of a primitive type and represents a sort of intermediate stage between the gnome and the fairy in some cases districts close together are found to be inhabited by quite different classes of nature spirits for example as been already mentioned the emerald green elves are common in belgium yet a hundred miles away in holland hardly one of them is to be seen and their place is taken by a sober-looking dark purple species very interesting indeed is his account of the irish fairies speaking of a sacred mountain in ireland he says a curious fact is that altitude above the sea level seems to affect their distribution those who belong to the mountains scarcely ever intermingling with those of the plains i well remember when climbing sleeve namin one of the traditionally sacred hills of ireland noticing the very definite lines of demarcation between the different types the lower slopes like the surrounding plains were alive with the intensely active and mischievous little red and black race which swarms all over the south and west of ireland being especially attracted 
to the magnetic centres established nearly two thousand years ago by the magic-working priests of the old Milesian race, to ensure and perpetuate their domination over the people by keeping them under the influence of the great illusion. After half an hour's climbing, however, not one of these red-and-black gentry was to be seen, but instead the hillside was populous with the gentler blue-and-brown type, which long ago owed special allegiance to the Tuatha de Danaean. These also had their zone and their well-defined limits, and no nature spirit of either type ever ventured to trespass upon the space round the summit, sacred to the great green angels who have watched there for more than two thousand years, guarding one of the centres of living force that link the past to the future of that mystic land of Erin. Taller far than the height of a man, these giant forms, in colour like the first new leaves of spring, soft, luminous, shimmering, indescribable, look forth over the world with wondrous eyes that shine like stars, full of the peace of those who live in the eternal, waiting with the calm certainty of knowledge until the appointed time shall come. One realises very fully the power and importance of the hidden side of things when one beholds such a spectacle as that. For fuller information the reader may well be referred to the original, published by the Theosophical Publishing House. The book is a storehouse of knowledge upon all occult matters, and certainly the details concerning the fairies fit in remarkably well with the information from other sources. I have now laid before the reader the full circumstances in connection with the five successful photographs taken at Cottingley. I have added the experience of a clairvoyant officer in the company of the girls upon the third and unsuccessful attempt to get photographs. I have analyzed some of the criticism which we have had to meet. I have given the reader the opportunity of judging the evidence for a considerable number of alleged cases, collected before and after the Cottingley incident. Finally, I have placed before him the general theory of the place in creation of such creatures, as defined by the only system of thought which has found room for them. Having read and weighed all this, the investigator is in as strong a position as Mr. Gardner or myself, and each must give his own verdict. I do not myself contend that the proof is as overwhelming as in the case of spiritualistic phenomena. We cannot call upon the brightest brains in the scientific world, the crooks, the lodges, or the lombrosos, for confirmation, but that also may come, and for the present, while more evidence will be welcome, there is enough already available to convince any reasonable man that the matter is not one which can be readily dismissed. But that a case actually exists, which up to now has not been shaken in the least degree by any of the criticism directed against it. Far from being resented, such criticism, so long as it is earnest and honest, must be most welcome to those whose only aim is the fearless search for truth. End of chapter 8 And End of the Coming of the Fairies by Arthur Conan Doyle